0: Hi, everyone. Good to be with you. As Stephen said, Owen, my husband, and I came here about four months ago to start working with the wonderful postgrad community. I can see a few of you out there. Hello, postgrads. Um, and we, before we came to the church here four months ago, we were in Worcester for about seven years. And before we were in Worcester, we worked here at St. Aldate's. So we have literally just come back to exactly where we were before. You know, we're big risk takers. Um, but we did both grow up in Wales in fact my family are Welsh for like generations back so depending on who you speak to and the rugby scores we're actually doing a really brave thing living here in England it's like we're missionaries in a foreign land Uh, I want to tell you about an undergrad I met in the first time I worked at St. Aldate's. She was a second year medical student who was at Queen's, just down the road there, and she hadn't grown up hearing about Jesus, but she'd come to college, and she'd met some Christians, and she was intrigued by their lives, and she had loads of questions, and they brought her along to a week of talks organized by a group of Christians, the Christian Union at the university, and that's where I met her. And we started talking, and it was clear she had loads of stuff that she wanted to explore. So we made a plan together that we would meet each week, and we'd look at one of the eyewitness accounts that we have of the life of Jesus. And so we'd been doing that for a few weeks, and then I remember it so vividly. There was this one afternoon... And we met for coffee, just in Costa Coffee, you know, the one opposite Marks and Spencer's just over there. And we'd be meeting for a few weeks. And this afternoon, we looked again at one of the gospel accounts. And we were talking about our need for Jesus. And we were exploring together her questions. And then suddenly, as the Holy Spirit was stirring her heart, she said to me, Laura, this is true. I believe this. I want to put my trust and my faith in Jesus. And so I said to her, well, why don't we just pray right where we are? And so that's what we did. She prayed as we sat at this table just over there in Costa Coffee. And after that moment, she sort of paused and she looked at me and she said, okay, Laura, now what? I thought that was a brilliant question. Okay, Laura, I believe this is true. I've just prayed a prayer for a whole new life with Jesus in it. And so now what? You know, underneath... Her question was this realization that Jesus is meant to make a difference to our lives. That Jesus is meant to make a difference to our lives, and she'd seen it in the lives of the people that she'd met in her college. She'd seen it as she started coming to church with me at St Aldate. She'd seen it as we looked together at the accounts of Jesus and the people who had encountered him. You know, transformation, change, restoration. And so she was asking, "Okay, Laura, now what?" And I think if James, the writer of this letter that we're looking at at the 10 and 12 over the next few weeks, I think if he'd been sat in the coffee shop with us, he'd have had quite a lot of things to say in response to that question. In fact, I feel like it's a bit like this letter is his response to that so now what question. That question, that fundamental question we might find ourselves asking if we've been following Jesus for years and years and years, so what difference is he making, continuing to make in my life? Or a question we might be asking if we're still trying to figure out what we make of all of this. Will Jesus make a difference? And what kind of difference will he make? And James's train of thought in this passage, and we just skip back up a bit to verse 17, is that everything good, the source of all goodness and life and truth, Comes to us from God, the Creator of it all. He refers to Him as the Father of Lights, our Father in Heaven, who is thoroughly good, and He has revealed Himself to us through the Word of Truth, through Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who, through who He is and what He's done on the cross, through His resurrection, through the giving of His Spirit, He He shows us how to live. He's the one who fulfills these perfect laws referred to in verse 25. He's the one who, through the Word of God, the scriptures, we read how it is that we should live and what we should do, these instructions for our lives and the difference that Jesus should make. And I think it's really important when we're talking about listening and doing and acting that we remember, we skip back up from what we've read and we remember who it is that is instructing us in these ways of life. It's the one who has made us the one who loves us, the one who is thoroughly good and perfectly true, the one who can see the end from the beginning when we can only see in part, and the one who loves you today more than you will ever know. And James, throughout his letter, he mentions the word perfect seven times. Now that word, I don't know, it doesn't always set off the right connotations for us maybe because we're sat there thinking, who's perfect? Perfect. Or maybe you're thinking of a slightly irritating little Miss Perfect. Uh, But actually, the biblical languages, that, that word is more to do with wholeheartedness or wholeness or integrity or authenticity. Where James is inviting us to live a life of faith that is fleshed out, that is real, that is authentic. And so he has that image in verse 21 of it being planted There's this expectation that the truth of the word of God revealed in Jesus will in us take root and grow and show and be visible. There'll be an outworking of our faith. It's this invitation where Jesus isn't just a good idea. Isn't just, you know, it's not just a club we belong to or an accessory for our lives. This is this wonderful invitation from James where the goodness and the truth and the ways of God have the opportunity to touch and transform and heal and restore and renew every aspect of who we are and who we're becoming. Now some of us love talks like this on obedience, listening and doing and following God's commands and some of us it just feels like a burden because we feel like before we've already started, we've failed. And for some of us, those words, integrity, authenticity, wholeness, are like a trigger, and we think of all the times throughout human history where the church has messed up. Or we think of someone in a position of prominence who has profoundly lacked integrity. And so I find it really interesting that into all of those thoughts and feelings and emotions around this idea of integrity and wholeness, James uses a specific kind of image throughout what he's saying, and he uses, bear with me, a mirror. We've had a mirror up here before as a visual aid recently, but here's a mirror. Because you see, what James is saying through this letter is that this call to wholeness, this, you know, coffee shop question, so now what, Laura, So, so now what does this look like is actually more and more about us realizing more and more each day who we truly are. And so my first question to us then is, will you become more and more who you were really made to be? The real you. Will I become more and more the person that I was made to be? You see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, speaks a wonderful word over us and to us, that we are loved by God, that we are called, that we are chosen, that we are saved through Jesus, that we are set apart for holiness. And James is like, walk in that truth walk in that reality, let that which is planted in you spill out and be fleshed out, that integrity, that authenticity of the good news of Jesus. You see, so much of our obedience to God's ways is about us walking more fully in our identity. And so James says in verse 22, don't just listen to the word, And so be deceived do what it says because anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man or a woman who looks at his face in the mirror and then forgets what they look like i wonder where you'd put yourself on the mirror scale you know some people don't even have one of these in their bathroom some people can't even avoid walking past a parked car and just checking their reflection some people uh, i don't know if you've done this but will take out their mobile phone at the end of a meal and just take a quick little photo in the restaurant just to check that there's not pizza over their face or something in their teeth. (laughs) Some people nodded their head. Um, I had a a friend from uni, um, Alice, (laughs) who used to do this all the time. Maybe you're thinking, that's very clever, I'm gonna do that next time I'm out for a meal. You know, sometimes we'll catch our reflection and we'll notice that there's toothpaste on our chin or our tie is a little wonky or we put our jumper on uh, inside out. You see, a mirror highlights it all. And Alice, you know, in a restaurant after a meal, she doesn't just use her phone like a mirror to take a picture so that she can go, oh, yes, I've got pizza all over my face. If she sees that, she wipes it off. And so James is using this image here to say that this highlights to us an opportunity for change, an opportunity for Jesus to make a difference. You know, the so what of the coffee shop question is for us to respond, for us to be renewed, for us to be changed. James is inviting us not just to hear, but to act. Not just that we'll know stuff, but that we will grow. He's saying, will what you know make you grow? And will you grow into freedom? because that's what it says in verse 25, that we look into this perfect law that gives freedom. You know, the ways of God, the instructions for life in the scriptures are not some straitjacket for us to mean that we become less and less the people that we were made to be. No, it's the complete opposite that is true, that these ways of God that are thoroughly good and have life in them, that touch upon every aspect of who we are for our decision-making, our relationships, Uh, in our businesses, um, in our families, every aspect of who we are, as we step into those ways, as we follow his commands, we find more and more that we become more and more who we were made to be. And yes, we might feel a tension as our flesh resists what the spirit is calling us to, but so many of us will testify to the truth that walking and doing and fleshing out the ways of God have brought for us more freedom. And so I wonder that today whether... For some of us, it's like in all his love and affection for us today, God is looking on us and saying, you know that, that bit? Well, it, it, it's not really you. You know that area and, you know, we can fill in the gaps here, that area where we're not fully through. Maybe it's we need freedom from comparison. Freedom from envy, freedom from lying, freedom from addiction, freedom from sexual immorality, freedom from bitterness, whatever it might be, that today the Holy Spirit, in his kindness and his goodness, is inviting us, just as Paul says in Galatians 5, to be free, for that is why Christ has set us free. And so what are those bits where today in his goodness and kindness, as we sort of almost hold a mirror up to ourselves... God is saying, you know that bit, it's not, not the real you. Will you walk forward today in, in greater freedom? And so firstly, will we become more and more the real us? And secondly, will we become those who show more and more the family likeness? Because James uses the mirror image, not just for correction, but for us to be called. We can uh, hold this mirror and spot the pizza on our face or the jumper inside out or whatever it might be but we also hold a mirror and whether we like it or not it highlights our kind of unique features you know that only only we have these exact eyes and only we have that exact nose. You know when I was um, 11 and had just started uh, in a new high school um, in Cardiff my parents uh, had a parents' evening in my new school. And in our very large school in Cardiff, this worked well. Like, every teacher was sort of sat around the hall at different desks. And so you'd make your way um, around, and my parents would go to my maths teacher, and it was always, oh, bless her, she's trying really hard. <laughs> Physics, that was never so great. Uh, English, fine. And, and so you know I've actually been a teacher sat on the other side of that desk, Waiting for the parent or carer to arrive. And, and sometimes, let me tell you the truth, if it's at the beginning of the year and if you teach like over 150 pupils, this can sometimes happen. The grown up will sit down in front of you and um, they'll start talking about their child. They say, and David, and you're like, oh, yes, David. And inside you're thinking, who is David? Which David? I, I teach five of them. And, you know, even though there were five other Laura's in my year, let alone I don't know how many others across the whole school, my parents came back from that parents' evening laughing because this is what had happened. I mean, you're taught about like 14 different subjects when you're 11 here, and so they'd been around every single teacher, and before they had even sat down, uh, my teacher would uh, remember my face and look at my mum's face and say to my parents before they sat down, wow, you don't need to tell us who's your daughter. You know, I look so much like my mum. I have even inherited quite a lot of her mannerisms and phrases and her inability to do maths. (laughs) Time and time again throughout the Old Testament, there is this call on us corporately, together, as the people of God, to be those who show what it's like to be part of the family of God. Israel have this. Time and time again, when God says to them, be holy, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it says this, as I am holy. And this was so that a surrounding nation could look at them, could see the way that they lived and their behavior, and go, oh yes, you're part of Yahweh's family. They had been set free from slavery in Egypt, and they were called, we have been set free through Jesus, and we are called into these ways of the family likeness. And there's lots of different ways that, over the next few weeks, we'll see James, in this letter here, sort of flesh out that calling, that invitation for us. And there are two specific ways here in the passage that Shauna read to us earlier, this vocation of the family likeness, that we're careful with our speech and that we're kind. James is like, are we slow to speak? You know, do we have a hold of our tongue, or does our tongue have a hold of us? And then, secondly, as a family of God, are we those who, it says here, take care, verse 27, of the orphan, of the widow? Are we those going into chapter 2 who don't show favoritism? He imagines this scene, James, where someone who's impressive and has wealth is brought into the church and given the best seat of the house, and then the exact opposite is done for someone who is poor. And maybe when that was read, you were like, oh, well, I would never do something like that. But actually, I wonder whether what James is sort of getting at under here is how we often find ourselves making friendships or connections or spending our time with people who in some way will be a benefit to us. But actually, the invitation for us to show the family likeness of our God who doesn't have favorites, of our God whose heart, verse 5 of chapter 2, is always directed towards the needy, Always in kindness, the invitation for us is to be those who spend our time with the needy. Not always seeking how we can be benefited, but how we can be a benefit to others. So I wonder how does our contacts list look in our mobile phone or our address book? Is it full of people who are exactly the same as us or those who are different from us? In background, in experience, in education, in ethnicity... Are we those who love? Are we those who are kind? Are we those who take time to care, to speak well of others, to bring words of life and truth? The majority of biblical scholars will say that James, who wrote this letter, was the half-brother of Jesus. You know, I have absolutely loved thinking about that this week. Imagining James having meals with Jesus, imagining James maybe playing outside with Jesus, imagining James and Jesus at awkward family gatherings. And what we realize is that through and through this letter, time and time again, are the words and the wisdom and the kindness and the goodness and the truth of James's older brother, Jesus. And here's the thing, The Bible says that Jesus is our older brother too, that Jesus is our older brother too. And the invitation to us here is will we look like him? You know, James would have watched up close and personal how Jesus behaved. Corinthians tells us that James saw him, Jesus, in his resurrected body and I wonder whether in that moment through his mind are all the times where he had seen this older half-brother of his, Jesus, behave, stop for the needy, love the poor, speak words of truth and life and healing. And so for us today, are we spending time thinking and looking and reading again who Jesus is in the scriptures, what he's done, his teaching, what he's like? You know, really, this, this invitation, the response in the coffee shop of the so now what? How's Jesus going to make a difference to our lives? It isn't that we would just look more and more intently every day at us. No, it's that we would look more intently every day at Jesus. For he is good. And he is beautiful. And he is worthy of our praise. And he is the very best of men. He is the one who, when others might let us down, he will always be faithful. He is the one who, when others lack integrity, he is always full of integrity. He is the one this day who loves you. He is the one this day who loves me. He's the one we need. He is our savior. He is beautiful. He is true. Will we look at him? Because you see, the more we look at him, the more we become the real us. The more he is really in us through the work of his spirit, the more we're taking on the word of God, the more we're being transformed, the more we're asking for freedom, the more we look at Jesus, the more we will become the people that he has made us to be together as the family of God, bearing his likeness in kindness in our speech. So this year, it's it's January, isn't it? January 2022, a a new year. I, I don't know what this year will hold for me. I don't know what this year will hold for you. Probably a a mix, some good stuff, some hard stuff. But here's the question for us. To the so-now-what Laura in the coffee shop, will we look more like Christ? Will we become more like him? For he is good, for he is true, and how we need him.